Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to episode 12 of my Love in the Time of Coronavirus podcast. This is a slow pod or a slow cast where I ask friends and colleagues to dial in their answers to three simple questions and I just allow them to speak pretty much at the pace that they want to. Just to remind you, the questions are, where are you and who are you with? What good do you think will come out of this mess? And please tell me something really good that you've discovered or found again or started doing during this time. I'm recording this on the most beautiful spring day in North Wales. I'm sitting in my garden. It is the middle of the afternoon or late afternoon and there's very little bird song, which is interesting. There's been amazing bird song in the mornings and in the evenings, but they seem to be taking a bit of a rest, a sunbathe. But I just wanted to play you in with the recording I made this morning of a lesser spotted woodpecker just outside our bedroom window. The woodpeckers around here are absolutely fantastic. And although I can never see this one, Caroline has seen it. And that's how I know that it's a lesser spotted one. It is hammering away at the tree. Um, the noise that they make is called drumming or tattooing even, or tapping, and in fact, rapping as well. And um, it's not only searching for food, and this one does it, according to Caroline, mainly in a dead limb of uh, a very old Scots pine, not far from the house. But um, they also do it as a mating call, which is why I think it is so rampant at the moment. So I'm going to play you in with um, a minute or two of that lovely woodpecker. Thanks very much to the woodpecker for being so um, vocal this morning. I hope you enjoyed that. My first guest today is someone who you may be familiar to if you've listened to some of my other podcasts. He was an educator at one of our camp Glendyes in 2019, and he is Tristan Gooley, the best-selling author, navigator, and explorer. He's had expeditions on five different continents, and has traveled some of the remotest places on earth, as well as writing a long series of books, most famously, perhaps, starting with 2010's The Natural Navigator, which is when I met him, in fact, when I interviewed him at the Cheltenham Literary Festival then, that, that year. Um, anyway, here is Tristan. Hello, this is Tristan Gooley, AKA The Natural Navigator, and I'm recording some responses uh, to an invitation to be on a new podcast called Love in the Time of Coronavirus. I was tempted to send an email back claiming that I was far too busy to do this sort of thing. Um, but that's a tough one in the current climate. So here we are. Um, there are some questions. Where are you and who are you with? I am... Working in a cabin 
um, somewhere between 100 and 200 yards from my home in West Sussex, where I am with uh, my wife and two sons who are 16 and 13. And we do feel very fortunate indeed. We have family um, in lockdown in London and their experience, of course, is, is very different. Not entirely um, negative, I don't think. They're, they're being forced to think quite laterally and uh, getting to know each other even better than we are. And there are many positives in that, I'm sure. But uh, that's where we are. We have um, uh, a lot of beautiful English countryside around us uh, and uh, not nothing in that to grumble about. What good do you think will come out of this mess? Uh, I don't think I can predict anything with precision, and I'm not alone there, I'm sure, but I do think the very general shape will be, um, aside from medical leaps and bounds, if we're fortunate and uh, we come out of this um, without the virus mutating into something even worse, which is, if I'm honest, my um, anxiety. I haven't found myself too anxious during this. I know I know a few people do, and I've I've had moments like we all have, I'm sure, of worrying. But but the only the only ang- really big anxiety that creeps up on me is if it muti- mutates into something uh, a lot worse, and I try not to dwell on that. But there will be some medical positives. So. Um, for, for people who um, survive this, uh, humanity as a whole will have learned a lot. Um, we will, in terms of medical understanding and um, uh, drills of how to deal with pandemics, we will be uh, a different world from, from here on, um, which will very sadly be too late for many people. But um, for, the, for the, the rest of humanity, that is... Uh, perhaps one positive, but I think in a in a sort of vaguer, woollier philosophical sense, I think there will be a positive in terms of our understanding of more from less, and I think this is one of the few um, positives. Well, one of the few things this crisis has in common with uh, a, an earlier, recent crisis, the the financial crisis of a little over a decade ago when it was pretty hard to see many positives coming out of that. But I was a direct beneficiary, although, like most people, I was, I was impacted by that crisis in a, in a number of ways, in my case, very minor and indirect ways. There was one major benefit for me, which was that I'd uh, set up my natural navigation school at the time, um, I think it was shortly before the crisis, and I couldn't see any any positives in that. But what what transpired was that the financial crisis, I think, changed people's perspectives from, um, briefly, it was a, a shift from materialism to a, a series of interconnected and different um, views um, that together, I think, was a shift in philosophy. And I, I benefited from that and I'm very grateful for that because I think some people took an interest in nature that perhaps they hadn't before. I mean, I quite literally noticed conversations. I'm not a huge fan of dinner parties, but when I, when I get um, dragged and 
dragged kicking and screaming like a child by my wife to a, a dinner party. I did notice at that time that the, the conversation shifted in the space of about six months from things like property prices and people who worked in property seemed to corner the entire, um, uh, could, could marshal the topics of conversation for a whole evening. Uh, and, and the conversation would flow between how property was appreciating to uh, how to get an extra sort of six square metres out of a property in London or something like that. Um, and these were interesting people. I just, I think we'd all got a little bit trapped. And then I, I noticed in the space of half a year or so that that, that conversation just stopped. There was, there was no, jo- no joy in that topic. So the conversation reflected, I think, a broader shift in people. And, and I think a lot of people have noticed that, that um, it's, it's a lot harder for, to shift goods to people these days. And I think um, unless your livelihood is directly connected to that, I think that's a broadly positive thing because people particular I, I think it spreads across all generations, but there used to be this, this deep, almost um, no need to explain obvious uh, life philosophy, which, you know, if, if you bought, you know, X, Y and Z, um, that, that somehow your life was better. And I think that's been questioned. And I do genuinely believe that if people find themselves with a few spare pounds at the end of the month now, they don't automatically look to acquire an object. They, they look for experiences. And this is, this is, we're seeing this in travel um, and in, in what I do in terms of nature connection. Um, I do believe that prior to the financial crisis, it was a harder, you know, forgive the pun, but it was a harder sell to, to convince somebody that um, there was real joy and reward to be found in, in noticing, in my particular case, clues and signs in nature, but, but more broadly. Um, and that, that made everybody sort of go, OK, well, if spending £1,000 doesn't automatically lead to a better world and, and greater happiness, then, then what do we do with either time or, or um, any, any spare money? Um, so I'm hopeful that's going to be the case uh, after this because I have I have we we have been forced to to do more with less we we get at the time of speaking um, I believe it's one legal hour of outdoor exercise um, and by you know we are being forced to to be creative in in trying to find uh, rewards in that so in, in my work, but also in my leisure, it's what I what I choose to do um, outside family and socialising. What what I would choose to do with a spare hour is 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 looking for these clues and signs. It's it's I I do what I do because I love it, uh, and I have the the roots around here. I thought I knew um, as well as I'd ever want to, uh, and I'm I'm noticing new signs. I mean I I noticed something in the past uh, twenty four hours that moss. Uh, at the base of trees is a reflection of moisture in the ground. But the higher the moss grows up the tree, is, it's like a hygrometer. It measures effectively humidity in the, in the forest floor. But what I didn't realise before, which is like so much of what I do, obvious with hindsight, is that there are different moss species. And the highest moss at the base of a tree is the one that um, is hardiest in terms of moisture. And the one at the base is the one that's most sensitive. I'm getting a little bit, a little bit geeky here, but that happens quite a lot with my work. But that's, you know, the, these mosses, I've walked past some of these mosses uh, and seen some of them quite literally a thousand times. 
and I'm getting to know them better. Uh, and for me, there's quite a lot of joy in that. Uh, I didn't expect to uh, spend that long answering that question, uh, but that's what's happened. Uh, in this case, I'm making more out of less. Uh, whether that's a good thing or not, we can also discuss. Right, final question. Um, please tell me something really good you have discovered, found again, started doing. Well, I hopefully I've just done that. And since I've gone on quite a bit, I won't, I won't go on again. But it is, it's more or less, more from less, uh, it's depth of knowledge and understanding. My philosophy has always been that everything outdoors is a clue and a sign. And even with that philosophy, and even with hopefully using those eyes every time I'm outside, I'm discovering things within a, a few feet of home on a, on a daily basis, uh, which, which I'm, I am genuinely enjoying. Um, and Charlie very kindly asked if I'd like to promote anything. Uh, I would love people to go on to naturalnavigator.com and have a look. There are hundreds, I think actually thousands, of free examples of things you can look at. Um, and I've recently written a, um, a, a sort of feature-length piece about the joys of signs in spring. And it's, it's written very much with our current situation in mind. I can't promise you'll see every single sign in there in your first walk, but they are all things that can be seen, if not from a, from a, um, a bedroom window, then, then within um, a few yards of home uh, with, a, with a tiny, tiny bit of luck as well. Um, so, yeah, please head over to naturalnavigator.com. And if you spot anything or you have any questions, um, uh, drop me a line. There's a contact page on the website because I'm, I'm really enjoying that part of it as well. It's allowing me to explore vicariously um, and, um, yeah, have some fun looking for, for signs in nature. Thanks very much. I uh, hope you're all keeping uh, safe and well and uh, happy navigating, everybody. Thank you very much, Tristan. Next up today, we have Karen O'Donoghue. Those of you who have been to the Good Life Experience may well have come across Karen O'Donoghue. She is the founder of the Happy Tummy Company. The Happy Tummy Company is dedicated to helping people live with great tummies through functional foods and recipes for better gut health. Karen O'Donoghue is a farmer's daughter and is a profound believer in the value of, amongst many other things, amazing bread. So here we go. Here you are. Here's Karen O'Donoghue. Hello. Hello, Mavericks. Hello, Charlie. Um, hello from East Sussex. Um, so, yeah, I am currently um, at home. Um, well, I'm currently actually sitting in my greenhouse, but I am living in East Sussex since July of last year with my boyfriend Tom and my dog Biggie Smalls who is living his best life in isolation. He is getting so much attention and so much time in the garden. He is, he's the happiest I've ever seen him. It's been amazing. Um, I think I got, I got a little bit fed up with living in the city if I'm honest. Um, many, many years ago, I got quite worried actually about humanity and humanity's ability to be able to look after itself and feed itself and, you know, recognise leaves and berries in the wild that you could pick and eat and, um, you know, just simply down to like people being able to make their own bread. But this, um, this COVID-19 business has really showcased 
a massive, massive influx of interest in people making their own bread and growing their own food again, which has just been so, so heartening. Um, and I'm sure for anyone who works in food, they're feeling like all the chat they've given this industry for so long is now kind of coming to the foreground and is playing a big role in what's happening, which is quite cool. Um, but yeah, so I've been here in lockdown for over many weeks now. Um, and like everyone, just, you know, enjoying more time in the kitchen. I mean, I spend my working life in the kitchen anyway. Um, but I'm certainly getting to do more creative things, which has been amazing. Um, my dog is definitely more on a human diet than he's ever been before. And one of the positives to come out of isolation has been um, that we're all isolated now and we're all navigating a new way of living and we're all navigating new behaviours that maybe we didn't even see as existing um, before. So all of a sudden within this, maybe what, it's been like six week period or something, I have felt so at home, it has been incredible. Um, helped by obviously getting stuck into the garden and growing things and, you know, the garden and, you know, my my little spot in the world just becoming more and more my own. Um, one of the reasons we moved to Sussex, we were living in London for many years. Um, one of the reasons we moved here was my, well, my boyfriend's from Sussex. He went to Beads, which is um, kind of a few miles over the road from where we are now. Um, and he always wanted to move back here. Um, and my interest in Sussex was actually to do with the Bloomsbury set. So I'm sure many Mavericks will be big Charleston um, fans and Bloomsbury set fans and Virginia Woolf fans and Vanessa Bell fans. Um, and I'm a fan of Vanessa Bell and Virginia Woolf and have been fascinated by the literature and the art to come out of that set for such a long time. Um, and now getting to walk the, you know, the downs that they've walked. Um, I'm just after seeing Biggie run after a fox. He is after flaking over the road, not the road, the garden after a fox. Anyway, fox is gone. Um, But yeah, so, you know, ladies like Virginia Woolf and Vanessa Bell, uh, you know, they used to walk all along kind of Furl Beacon and and down to Charleston and and now I get to walk that walk and walk in their footsteps and that was a big draw to the area for me because um when I was younger I used to you know write poetry and write little mini plays and um did art classes and so I guess um yeah connecting with the past of this area was a big part of the move down here for me um and in terms of things that I've rediscovered, um, Charleston has made a huge impression on me throughout this time. I've gotten back into art. Uh, I bring a little table out into the middle of the garden. I just swoosh different paintbrushes around white canvas. And it has been so joyful. And now I want to just paint the whole house. I'm not sure um, if all your listeners are familiar with Charleston House, but basically... It is the most colourful house you can walk into. Everything is painted, wardrobes, the dining table, like every part of every room is painted with splashes and splashes and splashes of colour. Um, and they added to these splashes of colour over the years. Um, and I remember uh, going to Charleston for the first time and visiting and coming home to our house and just feeling it was so boring and blank and, and white and just 
yeah, lacked character. So I found myself on a yoga mat in our living room to a sunrise one morning and some messages were coming in from my aunt in Canada and aunts in very par- various parts of the world. Um, and I just got this, you know, this poem just came to my head about, you know, our family and we call ourselves the O'Donoghue clan. Um, and I just like penned this poem down really quickly and just sent it off to the group. And normally I, not normally, but, you know, as I've become older, I'm more calculated. I edit things down. I revise. I write things over and over and over again. But I wrote it. You know, it was fine. I sent it off. Um, and I guess that's what I'm kind of enjoying is my spontaneous side and impulsive side coming back. Uh, growing up, I was a very impulsive girl um, and everything was rash. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've lost that and maybe lost sight of the benefits and the beauty of being rash. So I think I am going to continue being as spontaneous as I can be um, throughout the course of the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and what do I see as changing in the world? What good will come out of um, this current scenario? Well, I do think that more people are going to grow their own food um, and continue to do so. Um, I think um, I think more people are going to move, move to the country. I think more people are going to consider a much more sustainable way of living. And uh, we shall carry on and we shall probably do things a lot, lot better and slower and kinder and more considered. Um, and I, for one, am very, very, very excited about the future. Lots of love, Mavericks. It's been real. Thank you very much to Karen. Um, if you've been listening to this podcast for the last couple of weeks, then you may know that I've been talking about long slow albums that are perhaps more difficult to get into. What is traditionally known as double or triple albums, although unless you buy vinyl, I think that concept has largely vanished with the introduction of digital releasing techniques. But suddenly the other day, it came back to me that I'd absolutely loved Joanna Newsom's Have One On Me album. That was, I think, a triple album. Um, and it's a most unusual work. I think that it was released in 2010 and I think that it's one of those albums that may at first put people off. It's incredibly mannered and stylized but she's a harp player as well as a singer and at the time the album was sub-categorized in the genre of freak folk but actually I don't think it's, it's, it's that odd an album. What it is is very engaging and beautiful if you're prepared to give it time and initially perhaps prepared to tolerate the mannered nature perhaps of her voice. I think it is her absolute masterwork. It's 18 tracks. It's absolutely in a league of its own. I mean, except perhaps for Kate Bush. She uses her voice in a very similar way to Kate Bush to carry the song along with, with, with relatively minimal musicianship. She uses her voice as an instrument and, and it swirls and, and twists and turns through some very epic pieces of music. I think that the title track on this album is 11 or 12 minutes or so. Give it a go. It's not actually on Spotify, but um, it is on Apple Music and some other streaming services. And I think that the best song on the album to start with is The Good Intentions Paving Co. 
That's a great place to start. Give it time. Don't be put off to begin with. It is an acquired taste, but I think it is well worth the effort. Next today, we have my wife, Caroline Gladstone. She is with me at the moment, but I wanted to ask her the questions. And um, she went off this morning, very early, and recorded, recorded some quiet reflections. Caroline is the global project manager for Bill Granger's chain of about, I think, 20 restaurants, of which about a dozen are in Asia and Japan and Korea. Quite a few in Australia. They've got one in Hawaii and they've got four in London. And in common with all other restaurateurs pretty much in the world, that business is going through an horrendous time. Um, Caroline is, in fact, on furlough at the moment. And I know that it's been very painful for that business, along with endless other restaurants, to see so many years of brilliant, amazing, but brutally hard work essentially crumble before their very eyes and totally out of their control. Caroline also does all the projects that I do with me. She runs the food section at the Good Life Experience, the campfire cooking stage. She is a full partner with me in the Glendye Cabins and Cottages business and she does all of the colours and lighting and bathrooms for all of our um, design projects, so our pub and our cafes and our holiday cottages, etc. I do all the, um, the, the furniture and the paintings and the bits and bobs. Um, anyway, we have been married this week for 32 years. We got married when I was just 23. Um, and um, this is Caroline speaking to me into her phone this morning. Hi, Charlie. Here we are in week four of lockdown and I'm sitting in our garden in Wales um, on a beautiful, sunny Sunday morning, um, listening to the birds and watching the clouds flit across the sky. Um, and spring is truly springing. And I think for that, we're very lucky. We're very lucky that this crisis has happened in the spring and not as we go into autumn, winter. I think that would have been, um, that would have made matters even worse than they might otherwise be. Um, I'm here with you and our four youngest children. I'm never sure at what point one ought to stop referring to them as children and start referring to them as young adults, but young adults feels a bit cold. Um, and I think it is a mother's prerogative to refer to them as children um, for as long as, really. Um, anyway, I feel very lucky that we have four of them with us. Um, it's not the complete set, um, but it could so easily have been very different. Lockdown happened so quickly. Um, that we could easily not have any of them with us. Um, and I think one of the things for me that has been um, a joy about this period is reconnecting properly as a family unit, um, rediscovering the joy of, of spending an extended period of time um, together as a family. This is the longest we've been together since the children were at school. Um, and they were home for the holidays. And um, and even then, um, time was more fragmented because they'd have people to stay there, they'd have friends to stay, or they'd go and stay with friends, um, or we'd go away with them somewhere. 
Um, but this has been four solid weeks of being under one roof together. And um, it has been nothing but lovely, um, if I'm honest. And um, I've really enjoyed it. What good do I think will come of this crisis? Um, somebody sent me a meme this morning, um, and I know it's become a bit of a joke um, that I am the meme queen um, during this period. Um, but this one, I feel, is worth repeating. Um, it says, I think that when the dust settles, we will realise how very little we need, how very much we actually have, and the true value of human connection. And I think that that, in a way, sums up um, what I would have said um, to, in answer to, to your question. Uh, I think that we were, all of us, living life at 100 miles an hour. Um, and I think that life at that pace is not sustainable. Um, I think that we were lurching from one thing to the next without really ever taking stock of um, of anything really of what we'd achieved um, and I don't mean just us I mean just I mean na nationally and globally and I think that it is it was time for a reset um, and and I think that the the new normal I hope that the new normal will be a slower pace of life um, where we can pause a bit and not feel guilty about pausing um, and not feel guilty about not living life at 100 miles an hour. Um, I think that I hope also that it will be um, a time for the, the new normal will be appreciating um, nature and what nature can teach us and give us and that we learn to respect nature um, which I think is something that has completely um, fallen by the wayside in this um, modern way of living that we have embraced so wholeheartedly um, and I think it's perhaps time to, um, to slow that all down. In answer to your third question, um, one of the things that I have most enjoyed <coughs> doing um, in these last four weeks is watching um, spring happen and watching the trees go from winter um, to um, budding and blossoming and the leaves growing and coming out and exploding with, with new life. Um, it's been a joy to watch that process happen. Um, and um, the other thing that I've started doing, which I used to love doing and then never had time to do, is knitting. Um, I've, just, I've taken knitting back up with a vengeance. Um, I knitted a jumper for our new granddaughter, which I sent to her in London. Um, and um, I have taken up some old knitting projects which I am really enjoying finishing. They were languishing in a bag at home um, and uh, I have now set about completing them which is giving me a huge sense of um, purpose and achievement. Thanks Charlie um, for asking me to take part in this. I've really enjoyed it.
Well, I'm glad, very glad that I asked Caroline to do that. We've watched a couple of amazing things on TV recently. I am not a massive Netflix fan. I, I, I do love it when I find something great, but I do find it hard to find something that I love. I, I also find the, the very notion, the very description of binging on series really, really repulsive. Um, that's just, just me. I know, I know. Weird. I think I said this to my children the other day and they just thought I was just ridiculous, which is fair enough. But I find the idea of binging just a bit gross, particularly when these programmes are so beautifully made and people have spent months working over a single series. The two great things I think that we've watched recently are The Quiz, which is the programme that was on the BBC about Chris Tarrant's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and The Major, who was accused of cheating the programme. It sounds all a bit sort of mundane and, and quotidian, but actually it's, it's really fantastically good TV. The other great series that we watched is a four-part series on Netflix called Unorthodox about an, an Hasidic Jew um, who escapes her family in Brooklyn to move abroad. Um, it's got some slightly kind of um, simple narrative devices in it, but I thought it was beautiful and very moving and staggeringly well acted by the lead actor. Of course, I also watched The Tiger King, um, which I found vaguely gripping, but I mean, it, also, it just shines a light onto everything that is truly repulsive about America. And I do actually love America. Um, all of its repulsive elements came out in this. It was about violence, vanity, drug addiction, competition, guns, drugs. Um, it's pretty, pretty unpleasant in that way. But, but it's, it's, it certainly um, drags you in. And you will, if you watch it, you will be mouth wide open um, at it if you haven't watched it already. Anyway, those are my recommendations. Next up today, we have Jen Goss. You will probably know Jen if you have been to the Good Life Experience. I think she's been and cooked or performed or spoken nearly every year, if not every year. She wrote Do Preserve, Make Your Own Jams, Chutneys, Pickles and Cordials with massive supporter of the camps at Glendie and the Good Life Experience, Anya Dunk and Mimi Bevan, who I've actually never met. Um, but um, Jen dialed this in. So without further ado, here is Jen. Hi, I'm Jen Goss um, of R2 Acres and I live in West Wales on a small holding one mile up the hill from Poppet Beach and Cardigan Bay. We moved here 10 years ago from London. I live with my partner, Colin, and my teenage children, Leon and Lucy. Um, thinking about what will come out of everything that's occurring at the moment with the lockdown, I'm hoping and praying that our NHS will be saved and become just even better and that NHS nurses will be paid relevant to the work that they do. Maybe people will come back to the simple things in life and re-understand where things come from and how they're made. We'll treat the planet better. This is my big hope. Less pollution, less travel, less excess consumerism. Pandemics have happened before, but they've never... Everything hasn't just kind of closed down in the way that it has 
now. And that's because of how we live. The infrastructure just collapses straight away. One of the things that's changed in our lives is that I walk with my daughter every day. We're spending so much more time together as a family, reconnecting. And this is joyful on so many levels. They're teenagers and they were off out exploring the world, which is brilliant. But I did feel that we'd lost them a bit. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. And that pretty much does it for me today. I just want to tell you about a painting that's been much in my mind recently. Um, I think it's probably, possibly my favourite painting by Caspar David Friedrich. Um, it is called Wander Above the Sea of Fog, but I think it's generally known as Wander Above the Mist or Mountaineer in a Misty Landscape or something like that. It was painted in the early 1800s. He was a German romantic artist and um, it's a picture of a man from behind standing on the mountain looking down over the clouds. Give it a Google. You spell his name Caspar with an A and then David and then Friedrich with um, fried and rich, as in the opposite of poor. And um, it's not a very big painting, but it's just so evocative, and it's exactly where I think all of us want to be, but can't be at the moment, standing on top of a mountain. Anyway, um, that is it from me for today. Thank you very much for joining me. I wanted to play you out with a new song by Bon Iver, which came out this week. Um, it's called P-D-L-I-F. Um, please don't live in fear. What's really fascinating about it is that it was recorded, of course, remotely, as usual. I think Bon Iver regards his albums now as collaborative efforts, and um, a number of people were involved. It's really made by the beautiful vocals of Casey Hill. But here you go, please don't live in fear. Thanks so much. I will see you soon. Lots and lots of love. I hope you're doing okay. And um, I'll be back with more tomorrow. Bye.
Please don't live in fear.